You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Let's, yeah, sign me up. He said, but there's two conditions. There's two things that you have to do if you want to follow me. One, you have to cut your hair because your hair is just not cool enough and not stylish enough to kind of roam with our gang of people. So you're going to have to cut your hair. Turns out that his, his mom's full-time job was a prof- professional hairstylist. So I think it could have been like he's just trying to boost her clientele, but whatever. She started cutting my hair, I'll tell you that much. Second thing he says is you need to change the clothes that you're wearing. Like you don't dress cool enough, fashionable enough, and so you need to get your mom to start buying you some new clothes and she buys you new clothes. Then you'll be ready to follow me. And I said, I'll follow you. I'll do it. And so his mom cut my hair, and I had to try to do like some convincing for my mom to be able to actually buy me the clothes. We weren't the, the richest of families, so it was a kind of a big deal. But Donovan was kind enough so much that he wanted me to follow him that he'd actually lend me his own clothes for a period of time until I could get my mom convinced that I needed to change my style as well. And so in particular, there was one, the first sweatshirt that he gave me, I actually kept, and I've got it to this day. <laughs> and this was the sweatshirt that made me cool. You want to see it? Oh, yeah, this is it. This made me cool in eighth grade. Yes. And so I followed him. But this wouldn't be complete unless you saw the haircut, because this isn't very cool enough. But here we've got the haircut. That is a cool kid that wanted to be like Donovan Hernandez and would follow him wherever he told me to go. Right? I had to dress differently in order to follow Donovan. Well, if you think about it, we're going to come back to that story in a minute, but if you think about it, you actually know a lot about people by what they wear, right? Like, you can look at some situations, and just by looking at what someone's wearing, you know what they're about. Like, like take this next guy. What in the world is he about? I think he might be a Texas fan. If <laughs> You've got Texas fight tattooed and on your arms. You're pretty crazy. Um, you know that he's a pretty enthusiastic Texas fan. Well, what about this next guy? <laughs> That's one of my favorite pictures of all time. The crying kid when Texas is beating OU. It's so fun. So, yes, you learn a lot about he, like, wears his emotions on his sleeve, right? To get a little bit more serious, like, you learn a lot about what people, who who they are by what they wear. If you take a look at this next photo, what would you know about them? You know that they're Buddhists. They're probably practicing to be monks. Or if you look at this next photo, you'll see these women wearing their hijabs, and you would assume by looking at them that they're likely Muslims, that they're following Allah. Or if you look at this next photo, you'll see what we'd assume to be Catholic priests because they're wearing robes, right? You can look at people and learn a lot about people by what they wear. And so often, though, this is what people see when they think about Christians and what Christians wear. Sometimes it's portrayed publicly. Sometimes it's been people's experience. It's something like this. And that's not what Jesus called us to wear. And so when he calls us to come follow him, he's calling us to put on something, which we'll get to that in a minute. You'll see why we're using the metaphor of clothes. But he's calling us to live radically different than that. This is what people see, but this is what he commanded. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. That's what we're going to look at today. The fruit that Jesus wants to produce in us is love. Join me in prayer as we start. Lord, we invite you to speak to us today. Uh, Take these feeble and humble words of mine um, and just use them. You're the one who needs to speak. So speak to every every heart, not just in the things that are shared here, but even as everyone's meditating on them, um, themselves privately, and as we worship later. Use this next time of 
that we have together uh, to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Helps to provide a little bit of context in this. So in this uh, chapter 13, is actually a, a chapter 13 through 17 in the book of John. The Gospel of John is actually records more than any other of the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. John records this last conversation that Jesus had. And so it's important to know kind of contextually, like this is the last conversations he's having before the night that he's going to be arrested. In fact, we'll see here in a minute, Jesus talks about how he was going to be arrested that night. So he knew this was it. This is his last time that he's going to have with his disciples. And so it was a meaningful thing. If you, if you read the first part of John 13, he actually starts by washing his disciples' feet. They get together to have this meal, and he washes their feet, and he tells them, like, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to become the least, and I've washed your feet. Now you guys need to wash each other's feet. Then he tells them that one of them is actually going to betray him. They kind of argue about who it is that might betray him, and then Jesus actually dismisses Judas to go, and it says there kind of parenthetically, the other disciples thought that he was just going out to purchase something, but Judas leaves, and now he turns toward the eleven. And this is what he says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. It's a simple command, right? Simple command. But it's got a very, very important, incredible promise and a super significant qualifier. We're going to look at the promise and the qualifier. The command's not really new, so it's interesting that he says a new commandment I give to you, right? The disciples have been following Jesus for, for quite some time, for three years at this point. And so they had heard him, for instance, one time argue with a lawyer when the lawyer says, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, well, it's to love God and love man. So this wasn't new in the sense that, yes, Jesus, we know this isn't a new command. But what makes it new is the qualifier that he's going to give. As I have loved you, so much do you love one another. So now he's saying... This kind of not the kind of love where he said before, love others as you love yourself. Now he's saying, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's the new part of this command, that the way that we're supposed to love all of the people that God has created, particularly those in this family of believers, is to love them with the love that Jesus was about to show them. Now, they had seen Jesus love them. Jesus had been patient with them. He'd done many things for them. But what they didn't know was on that night, he was going to demonstrate his love for them by dying on the cross for their sins. But Jesus knows that. And so he's setting them up saying, I know what's going to happen tonight. And I'm telling you now, this new commandment is you're going to love people the way I'm about to love you tonight. You get a glimpse that Jesus was really trying to communicate this is what it meant in this new commandment because later, remember John 13 through 17 is all this conversation, this last conversation that he has with his disciples. In chapter 15, he says something really similar, but even points more to the qualifier here. The command is this, love each other. As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So this time Jesus is making it even more clear. Like, you don't know, but my friends, I'm about to go die for you. And the way that you're supposed to love one another is the way that I'm loving you tonight. You're going to come back to this. You're going to remember these words afterward, and you're going to reflect on them and say, this is the way that we're supposed to love others, that we be willing to die for others. And really, as Christians, that's what it means to follow Jesus, that we would be willing to love everyone whom Jesus died for. Jesus died for everyone, so we're supposed to love everyone just like Jesus would love them. That's a new command, and it's a hefty one, right? It's a weighty one. I know uh, for me, I start to think, well, is this really what people have experienced in Austin, Texas? Like, have they experienced this from Christians, that the people that they've met would be willing to love them to the degree that Jesus loves them? Look at each person and say, I love you like Jesus loves you. 
I decided to ask some of my friends that aren't following Jesus, people that are uh, in my neighborhood. So I sent a text out to about a dozen of my neighbors and just said, hey, what's been your overall experience with, with Christians in the church? Just tell me, has it been more like hate-filled and judgment, like the picture that we saw? Or has it been like really receptive and loving and caring in your experience? And not all of them replied, but I got a good bit of replies back and thought that I would read some anonymously just so you can see what just the average person on my street, how they'd experienced Christians. One person wrote, at the beginning of ninth grade, I was walking up the stairs and coming down the same time, and an older girl stopped in front of me and tells me, go back to where you come from, go home. The next day was Sunday, and I saw her at the church that I attended with my family. I realized that being present in a building is no guarantee of a person being a loving, Christ-like individual. I was angry and disappointed because it was then that I began to wonder how many other hateful individuals were in the same pews. Another neighbor was telling a little bit about her past when she lived up north before she moved down south. She said, my younger years up north, my church and community were marked by people who were quiet about their faith and religion. They were good people with faults and mistakes, but tried to live their faith rather than proclaim it. My adult life after moving south, particularly post 9-11, I experienced what she calls religiocentricism, a conviction that one's own religious beliefs are more important, more true, and superior to other religions. The practice of Christianity changed from a quiet personal faith to a dramatic and demonstrative one for me. And finally, uh, one of my other neighbors, this is what she shared. This was one who she said that most of her first interactions with Christians that she's had were people telling her that she was going to hell, like that's how they started their conversations with her. And so here's what, what she said. She said, to summarize, I never get... I, uh, she said, I had particularly bad, I've never had particularly bad experiences with Christians. Most of the issues have come up are around their real genuine concern for my soul, but I think this constant focus on hell is unappealing, as though the only reason to believe is to avoid hell. Maybe it stems from learning about that in such a scary way at a young age. I don't know a lot about Christianity, but I do believe that there's a lot more about, in it than in the, talking about the afterlife. I've always appreciated you and Brenda, and it made, you've made me feel that, never made me feel this way. I do feel for you and all Christians, though, who have loved ones who don't believe, I can imagine that's a difficult situation with plenty of mixed emotions. Now, those are just a sampling of a couple neighbors that I just randomly asked, like, how have you experienced Christians? There was also some that said that they've had really positive experiences, too. They, they kind of actually told me some negative stories and some positive. Um, but here's what we're talking about. Like, which is it? Who has Jesus really called us to be, and how are we really supposed to love people as Jesus loved us, the people that he died for. And there might be some of you even here this morning that maybe you're, you're coming back to church for the first time or maybe you've yet to really believe. And I just want to acknowledge you and say that like, we're glad that you're here and, and I admire your courage to, to be here. I know it can be kind of a scary thing to, to jump back into exploring something like this, particularly if you would identify with any of these stories and say, yeah, I've experienced something like that myself. Like, we're really glad that you're here. And I want to let you know that Jesus grieves over those experiences just like, just like you do. Because he's the one when he instructed his disciples, what does it look like to follow me? It means that you would love others as I have loved you. You see, with this is like a really scary promise. Because with the promise, there's embedded promise within this command, right? By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If we love one another, this is our greatest apologetic. It's better than any answer we can give to someone who's investigating the faith and wants to know what we believe about this or that. We can give them all kinds of answers, but what they most need, 
the most powerful apologetic that we have is that we love one another and that we love them. And in this context of love, it sparks a curiosity to people. It sparks an interest. It makes people want to follow Jesus with us because they like what they're seeing in our lives. This is an incredible promise that Jesus makes with this new commandment. But it's also, it works the other way, right? It works the other way, where the opposite can be true, where we can ruin our testimony, we can ruin people's ideas of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, because people might look at our lives and say, if that's what following Jesus is like, I don't want to become like that. What we want to do and what this new command is, it's a command for us to be the type of people that love as Jesus loved us in a way that would draw people to say, I want to be like that guy. Like, I'd be willing to follow, even if I don't know what I believe about him, I'd be willing to take another step in that direction because of what I see in the lives of the Christians around me. It's an incredibly powerful promise, which is why for all of us who you know, are following Jesus, I would just commend us to say, look, like there are people who've had these experiences, even the ones that I just described with my neighbors, and what we get to do is we get to make friends with them and reimagine, help them see Christianity and see someone following Jesus in a different way. That's why we love that we're kind of a scattered church. We gather on Sunday, but we're scattered, and we all have different coworkers and classmates and neighbors and friends where we live, work, or play all in Austin. And so this command that Jesus would give for us to love one another, we're to do that in all those places so that maybe by God's grace we can represent Jesus to someone in a way that they'd say, hey, I, I like that. I want to follow this loving person. That's what it means to practice this new commandment. So you might be saying to yourself, though, what does it actually look like to love each other this way? I mean, it's a, it's a pretty hefty command, right, with a lot of weight because of this promise that can either direct people toward following Jesus with us or move people away from wanting to follow Jesus. It's a hard command, important command. So what does it actually look like? And that's something probably the disciples themselves asked because as you read kind of the, the progression of their faith when, they, when Jesus rises from the dead and spends some time with them and he shares more about this, then he ascends to heaven and now they, they're remembering back to this conversation that they had. And they'll often write books and develop further on what does it mean to love one another. John, actually the guy who wrote the Gospel of John, he writes another book called First John and he's kind of known as like the apostle of love. Like he's always writing and he's developing on this command that Jesus gave. And so he writes a whole book where it's filled with like how to actually love. And Peter does the same thing when he writes his book called First Peter. He was writing to churches that were scattered everywhere. And one of the things that Peter does, he develops on this concept of love, but he focuses a lot on the promise. This idea like if we will live this out, guys, what it's going to do is it's going to make a difference to the people that see us and they're going to want to follow Jesus with us. And Paul, what he does when he often writes kind of expounding upon this, this new command that Jesus gave is he'll actually give a list. Like he'll say, here's Here's what it means. This is the priority. The new commandment is to love as Jesus has loved us. But here's some other things. This is what it looks like. And so that's what we'll look at here in, in Colossians next. In Colossians, Paul kind of gives some uh, parameters to what it means to love this way. In Colossians 3, 12 through 14, he says this. Just as God's chosen people, uh, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another whatever grievance you have against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You can see now where we get to why we're talking about what Christians wear, right? So, spoiler, there it is. The metaphor that Paul uses here is what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to put these things on. It's like our outfit. This is what we're supposed to be known as. This is supposed to identify us. We're supposed to put these things on almost like we would do clothes. Um, 
So that's why we're calling this. And you can see, too, that he actually sums it up in this way. Like, he gives these lists of compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, forbearance, forgiveness. But he says all these are bind together by love. Like, this is love, but here are the ways that you're particularly supposed to love each other. Here's what it looks like to live it out is even by loving in these ways. What I thought might be helpful to do today is just to kind of look at each of those super briefly. And as I do, just to give you a chance to, to ask God maybe to show you in your heart, like, None of us are perfect at these things, right? But maybe give yourself a chance to think, like, this is an area that I could grow in. Like, if I really want to obey this new command to love Jesus as he has loved others, as he has loved me, what I first need to do is I need to grow in at least some of these areas in my life. I know I can certainly point to a few. Let's look at a few of them together. Compassion. Compassion is really just the genuine heartfelt, uh, uh, heartfelt feeling for others who are in pain. Do you do this well? Do you feel compassion for others, especially others who you think maybe deserve where they're at or there's a reason why they're in the situation that they're in? Or you may have said, don't do this or don't do that, or this will happen and it happens. But compassion is the capacity to to love someone and feel their pain, even if they're walking in something that you can point to why they deserve what they're going through or why they're in the situation they're in. There's no no, um, parameters to it that you just completely feel for others who are hurting. Or kindness. Kindness is doing something for someone else, pretty simply. It's just meeting a need in a person's life, whether physical or emotional or spiritual. So ask yourself, like, how am I doing in loving people by the way of kindness? Do you do that well? Or perhaps are you so caught up in your own busyness, your own life, that you don't even recognize the needs of other people around you? Or maybe you recognize the needs, but you're just not willing to go there to spend the extra energy that it takes to to care for someone. Well, kindness is doing that. It's taking the extra step. It's expending the energy, the time, the money, whatever it takes to meet someone's need. Or humility. Humility is really just the conviction in your heart that you're not better than anyone else, that each person in your life is a person equally loved by God, equally someone that Jesus died for. There's no one better. There's no one worse. And your posture toward everyone is that you're not better, you're not worse than anyone that you're around. So how do you do with your humility? Are you one of the types that just tends to judge people by certain strata in your life, or do you make some people you just don't really want to spend time with, or there's others that you want to spend time with because you think it might gain you some advantage. But humility is just looking at everyone the same. Or gentleness. Gentleness is the ability to give proper care in every, in every circumstance. It's caring, uh, coming to people not in your strength, but meeting them in their weakness. How are you doing with, with gentleness? Are you bothered by people's weaknesses? Or you have a hard time relating to coworkers or friends or classmates that are different than you? You have a hard time being able to like step down to whatever thing that they're in and, and care for them gently in the way that they need to be cared for instead of in the strength that you have? Or patience. It's the ability to tolerate delays and trouble without getting upset. It's being able to bear with people and circumstances without getting angry. Definitely the one that I need the most work on. Do you lose your temper with people or with circumstances? Or can someone along the, that's a, you're trying to help in some way, be along the path and they're just moving much slower than you wish that they would move? And you get angry or disturbed by that? Well, patience is the ability to wait on God and do His work, uh, wait, wait on Him to do His work in others' lives. Or forbearance. Forbearance, the capacity to put up with, other, with differences between people. It's the grace not to make uh, mountains out of molehills, so to speak. How do you do with that? Are there things that you just can't let go? Are you the type that has to make like a $100 problem out of a one-cent issue? 
you just can't forbear, you don't have any forbearance to be able to put up with people who are different than you. Forbearance is the ability to overlook those differences and assume the best in people. And certainly last and maybe most difficult is forgiveness. The willingness to not hold someone's sins against them and remembering how much you've been forgiven so that you don't stand in judgment over someone else. How do you do with forgiveness? Do you find yourself holding grudges and distancing yourself from people whom you don't care to forgive? Do you, do you find that you have some sort of like level of penance or things that you think that they need to do before they can earn their forgiveness? Or, or do you have the capacity in this new commandment to love them as Jesus has loved them so you forgive them as you have been forgiven? Like these are all just little aspects of what it means to obey this new commandment, to love one another with the qualifier as Jesus has loved us. So I'm sure like you, like, like me this week, that the Lord probably prompted your heart in one or more of those areas. And so you're thinking, yes, I want to obey this new commandment. I want to follow Jesus into living a life of love. I want to love the people that God's put in my life. And I want to have all these things of compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. I want all of that. So how do I grow? Like, how do I grow in that? And to find the answer to that question, which will be our last question today, you really just have to go to the qualifiers that kind of bookend this entire passage right here. Look at the very start in, in, in verse 12. As God's chosen people, holy and deeply loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness. Ends with forgive as the Lord forgave you. If we want to grow in our capacity to love and to walk in this new commandment and love people the way that God has loved us, what we first have to do is we have to experience his love for ourselves. Like we have to be the ones that have received God's love and experienced it in a way that it changes our lives so then we are able to easily love other people because we've been so loved ourselves. That's how it starts. And that's how we're gonna grow is by allowing God's love to be real within us. So we need to think about, we need to meditate on, we need to sing about, we need to receive God's grace and the good news that Jesus died for our sins. And we, we receive that and we dwell on it and we think about it we praise God for it throughout our day, throughout our week, here on Sunday mornings. And when we do, we're reminded in a way that will change our hearts and give us the capacity then to love as he has loved us. Going back to what Jesus said in the verse we looked at first, it's the same thing. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. Now, the disciples had walked with Jesus for some time, right? So for three years, they've been learning to love because they've been watching Jesus' life. But you also, it's one of the things I love about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you also see them make tons of mistakes, right? And sometimes you see them be actually really unloving. Like there was a time, we looked at it a few weeks ago, where James and John were mad at a group of people and they asked Jesus, can we call down fire on these people? <laughs> not, not very loving, right? Or, or there's times when like the kids are trying to come to Jesus and the, and the disciples are like, get away, man, the kids, no, you're, you're not here. Multiple times you see the disciples actually trying to turn people away from Jesus. And every time he's like, stop it, guys, everyone's welcome. And he's calling people to himself. So they're growing in love as they were here. But they didn't get the depth of this until Jesus has risen, risen from the dead. Like those days when Jesus is spent with them after he had risen from the dead, they recognized that what Jesus was saying, like when he was saying it and they were just interpreting and not quite knowing what was going to happen that very night, they're thinking, love, this is the new commandment, love as I have loved you. But they didn't know what it meant was to literally die. No greater love has anyone than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He's pointing them to the fact that he's about to die for them. And when Jesus rose from the dead and they start to put the pieces together, they say, oh man, I believe it now. I understand now Jesus, how Jesus loved me. I get it. I knew it. And now 
they were more motivated and changed from the inside out to go and love others and obey this new commandment that Jesus had given. For us to be able to grow in this capacity, there's a number of things that I think that we need to do. You could probably list you know, dozens of them, but I just want to list a few. Like if you want to first experience the love of God in your own life so that you can then obey, as he said, love as, I, as you have been loved, here's some things that I recommend that we do regularly. We need to worship like this on Sundays, like the way that we're going to worship here at the end and sing these songs and remind ourselves of the truths of how God has loved us, what Jesus has done for us. We have to do that either weekly here on a Sunday morning, that's so great because it's corporate and you get to sing it over each other, or whether it's just your own time with God that you listen to songs that remind you and let your heart be stirred again with the affection that Jesus has for you so you can then love others. We also need to spend regular time reading and meditating and thinking about the scriptures. Like we're not spending time like regularly making time to read and think and reflect on that. We're not gonna be able to experience God's love in a way that allows us to love other people. We also need to spend time daily in prayer, particularly in confession and thanks, like coming to God each day to say, God, I know that I'm not right before you, but what you've done for me and dying for me is what gives me right, right standing with you. And we praise God for what he's done, and we daily recognize our own weakness and our own need of a Savior. Like doing that on a regular basis prepares your heart to experience God's love so that you can give it out. Another thing that we need is we need other believers, like we can't do this alone. Like, you're going to mostly experience God's love for you through the lives of others. Like, that's one of the ways that God's going to show you His love. He's going to show you His love by the love that you receive from others. And the way that you see it modeled, the way that you see other people that have been loved by Jesus then be able to love with that capacity, you learn from them by watching them and by experiencing their love. And so you can't be outside of Christian community. You can't live in a bubble. You can't isolate yourself. You have to be involved in the life of our church and the life of Christians who can demonstrate that love so you can experience God's love through them. Finally, we need to do what we're going to do here in a moment. We need to celebrate communion like we're going to do today, just to once again, on a weekly basis, just remember all that Jesus has done and the way that he's loved us, and we remember as he's loved us, we're filled with the capacity then to love and fulfill this new commandment. On a side note, I will say that um, when I see some of the hate-filled people, like in the photo that we showed at the start, I get a little nervous and anxious because I actually think to myself, like, I'm not sure that they're Christians. No, I'm nobody's judge, so I don't know. God knows their hearts. But when I see people that are demonstrating such hatred and judgment, I have to think to myself, like, have they experienced God's love themselves? Like, do they get the gospel and what God's done for them in a way that's transformed their heart? It would, it would draw me to question whether they really believe or not. And I'm not alone in thinking that because John, the one who was most reflective of this commandment of Jesus, in 1 John, he would write these words. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love his brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love his brother and sister. You see John continuing to reflect on this new commandment that last night that Jesus spoke to him. And he's saying, we love because he first loved us. Again, how are we going to grow to love? Well, first we've got to know that we've been loved. We've got to experience God's love. And if we haven't, he would call the question whether we really believe. And so one of the first things I say to my neighbors that have experienced the things that they've described is I said, one, those people don't speak for me in, in a lot of cases, but I'm not sure where they are in their faith because I've experienced God's love, which should make them a loving person. 
But the second thing that I actually do myself that helps me not be judgmental of those that I think are judgmental, <laughs> you know, is I, I say one thing that's really important is you never know where someone started. Like you don't know where someone's starting point was, where they were in their faith. And it's so important for us to remember that. We never know where someone started. By that I mean that someone may have been just a very new believer. And so they, they haven't experienced God's love in a way that's transformed them enough quite yet. Or maybe someone has had just a really, really awful difficult background, never really learned to love based on the family relationships and other relationships that they've had. And so they're at a completely different starting point. And so, so when Jesus comes and saves them, they put their faith in him and they receive God's love, they have a, they're starting right here, right? And so they may have had a ton of growth to get to where they are. And so we always have to remember, we don't know where someone's starting point is. I know for me, for instance, my starting point wasn't very good that uh, seventh and eighth grade year <laughs> that I described and the, the brokenness of my home didn't leave me at the greatest place of knowing how to follow Jesus and how to love. And I can guarantee you following Donovan Hernandez and wearing his clothes and cutting my hair a certain way didn't make me a more loving person. But thankfully, about a year into following Donovan, some other people in my life came aside. And there were people who followed Jesus. Donovan and his friends were very, very unloving. Picked on me, uh, all kinds of stuff that was like, why am I hanging out with these guys? And then I get introduced to these other group of friends that were trying to follow Jesus, and they were loving me like Jesus had loved them. And I thought, this is really different. And after a year about spending time with them, I put my faith in Jesus, experienced his love, and now I've grown to this day to continue to love people more and more as Jesus has loved me. But first, he had to put me in someone else's life or put some other people in my life who would love me as Jesus did. That's the story of how my life radically changed. We all experience God's love, and one of the things that happens that's ironic is one of the best ways that we experience God's love is actually by confessing that we've not been loving. Isn't that kind of a weird twist? <laughs> like you might have, I'm sure that there's got to be some conviction in here today to say, oh, well, yeah, I need to grow in this for sure. I want to obey this new commandment, but I've got a lot of room to grow. Or you might even say, well, I, I need to experience God's love more. Like I haven't experienced that enough. I need to grow in that. One of the best things is when we come to God in confession, that's actually where we can experience his love. Like we can come to him and say, you know what, God, I really want to grow in this area. Here's where I'm weak and here's where I'm struggling. Because when we do that, that's the actual reminder that we need to say, you know what, I need a savior. I'm not good enough. I can't do this apart from you. I need you to transform my life. And so the very place where we receive God's love, ironically, is upon our confession of our need to grow in it. That's what I would commend for us all to do today, even as we take communion and sing these last songs, that we would use it as a time of just confession, as just a reminder that we need to experience God's love in order for us to be able to walk out this new commandment and live this and lie to the city of Austin in a way that represents Jesus to them so that they too, like me as a little teenager, ran, around, ran a, you know, around some other Christians that loved me like Jesus did and radically changed my life. That's what he's called us to do. And so when we take this time of worship and communion, let's remember that specifically. Because it was on that night, that very night, you know, all that John 13 through 17, that was when Jesus shared a meal with them. And he told them, again, telling them he was going to die, though they didn't get it at the time. This is my blood. This is a new covenant. This is my body, which is broken for you. Tonight, I'm making a way for you to be reconciled to God. I'm showing you what God values you, how God values you, what I'm about to do for you. So let's worship. We take communion as, at Midtown as open communion, meaning anyone who's put their faith in Jesus can take communion. If you've not really decided to follow Jesus and put your faith in him, we would hope that you would actually not take communion, 
but wait until the time that you would put your faith in him and even as a first step of faith to receive it when you're ready. We have communion in the, in the front and in the back, and any time during these last set of songs, you can come take it on your own pace. I will mention, too, that, uh, that Greg and Kristen Tolander are in the back. Uh, every Sunday, we try to have like a, people that are available to pray, so if there's anything going on in your life that you want prayer for, uh, they would really love to pray for you and just intercede over you, ask God to work in your life, so I hope that you take advantage of that uh, during this time of worship as well. Let me pray, and let's worship together. God, we pray that you would give us uh, an experience, even today, a new experience of your love. And so doing, that we would be moved to love like you've loved us. We need that, God. We need to experience it here this morning. We need to experience it throughout our week, to be reminded of what you did for us by dying for us, so that we can live out this command to love as you've loved Pray, God, that you would forgive us where we've fallen short and that even if someone comes to mind that we need to con confess to today, maybe someone that we've, we've not loved well and we need to go to and say, ask for forgiveness and tell them we've not loved them as Jesus loves them, bring those people to mind that we can uh, confess to them as well. I thank you, Lord, that this church is among the people who do obey this command. I've seen it time and time again. But we still want to grow more, God. We want to grow more to love the people that you've put in our lives. So let us experience your love, God, and teach us to obey this new commandment uh, to love as you've loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.